0: Well, this week has been a difficult week for me personally. On Wednesday morning, I received a phone call from my brother to say that my auntie, who lived up at Lake Macquarie near Newcastle, had died aged 74. And death is always an unwelcomed intruder in our lives. And it's always sad as we grieve the loss of those that we loved. And I was close, very close to my auntie. But our sadness as a family this week has been deepened, not just in the loss of my auntie, but as we've learnt of how she died. For some time, auntie had a serious medical condition, but she hadn't been to a doctor for over two years. Why? Well, in part because she felt there was nothing wrong with her. In many ways, she was too proud to admit that she was sick and to go to a doctor. Nothing was wrong with her. She's fine, she would say. And her delusion and her stubborn refusal to accept help, to accept the help of her family, to accept the help of medical professionals meant that sadly this week she died alone on her bathroom floor. And as I've wrestled with her death and with this passage, I, I see in my auntie's tragic death a picture of not one woman who refused help and died, but in fact, of all who live and who refuse stubbornly to accept or well, to accept the reality that the gospels portray, that we. And not just my auntie, that we all, we all are sick. Our hearts are sickened by sin. And the healer, the Lord Jesus, has come and he is willing and he is able to help and to give us the forgiveness that we need. In our passage today, in this section of Matthew's Gospel, we hear from Jesus' lips that it's the sick who need a doctor. I'm going to focus on a person who knew that they were sick. You're going to see a woman who knew, who knew very, very clearly that she was sick. Everyone, in fact, knew that she was sick. But before we get there, we're going to see a man who was equally sick. And he wrote this gospel, the gospel that we read. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to pick up a little from the section of last week that I didn't have time to focus on, uh, as we last week focused on the healing, mostly of the paralytic man. Because as we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen in these accounts of Jesus, we've seen Jesus' authority, we've seen his authority over sickness in chapter 8 just as in chapters 5 to 7 it focused on Jesus' authority as a teacher. And as we've progressed over the last seven or eight weeks through this gospel, we've begun to see Jesus' incredible ability and his authority to bring physical healing to people who are sick. And in the calming of the wind and the waves and the sea of Galilee, Jesus showed that it's not just his authority over sickness, but his authority over nature. And in the story after that, we saw that Jesus has authority over demonic forces as he casts those demons out into the pigs. And last week, as we focused just on those few verses, as Jesus heals the paralytic, we saw that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And what's very important for us to see is that there is a link. There's a link between what we saw last week in Jesus' healing of the paralytic and a link with what we see in the verses immediately afterwards in Matthew's calling as Jesus comes to Matthew. Because like the paralytic in the preceding story, Matthew wasn't just called, he was also healed. There, as Jesus had this suffering paraplegic brought before him by his friends, as Jesus saw their faith, as he said to this man on the mat, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw in that man that his problem was not fundamentally his health or his inability to walk, but his fundamental problem was his sin, And in healing him physically, he draws a picture of what his death on the cross will achieve. Spiritual healing for all who would trust him. And so right off the back of this story of the healing of this man, Matthew records and inserts his own calling to indicate that just like this paralysed man, he too needed to be healed by Jesus. And that the problem, his, his most fundamental problem, was to have his sin healed. And you can see if you open up to Matthew chapter 9, there are several links between the two stories of the healing of the paralytic and the calling of Matthew. Just as the paralysed man was a sinner, so too are the people appearing in Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. In the opinion of the Pharisees, Matthew and his friends were mere tax collectors and sinners, the kind of people who the religious, the upright, would not want to associate with. But it is precisely sinners that Jesus came to save. And Matthew here, as he writes this gospel, doesn't put himself with the religious and the upright, but he places himself in the company, happily in the company, as another mere sinner saved by grace. See, Matthew, though a Jew, was in his community's eyes worse than a Gentile. He was unacceptable to his wider Jewish community. He was unaccept- unacceptable in at least three ways. Firstly, he was politically unacceptable as a tax collector, he was collaborating with the occupying force that held and controlled his nation and that would have been enough to ostracize him but in addition to that, he took he took taxes that made him rich extorting, um, extorting sorry the poor and The people hated him for it. And there he is in Capernaum, a town where major crossroads come together and so Matthew was in a key spot to collect all the money that he could. He was politically unacceptable, but secondly, he was religiously unacceptable. He was considered as a tax collector unclean. Jewish law barred tax collectors from all synagogue services on the basis of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 5. Tax collectors were not even allowed to witness in a court of law. He was not only politically unacceptable, he was religiously unacceptable. And thirdly, he was socially unacceptable. Religious people often spoke of those who failed to keep all all the petty laws that they had set up as the people of the land. And so those who were pure, well, they were forbidden even to go on a journey with people like Matthew, to do business with them, to give them anything, to receive anything from them, to have them as guests or to be a guest in their home. Matthew was socially ostracised. But here is a wonderful and beautiful thing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus, though politically, religiously and socially Unacceptable to the self-righteous, religious of the day. Matthew, we see, is not unacceptable to Jesus. And therefore not unacceptable to God. Jesus calls him to follow him. Follow me, Jesus says, to this man on the outside. To this man who's been excluded. To this man who nobody wants to associate with. He calls him just as he calls the other disciples. And when he did, Matthew did exactly what the paralysed man had done when Jesus forgave his sins. Have a look there in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 9. And then cast your eye into verse 9. It's the same word that's used. Just as the paralysed man got up, so too Matthew gets up And he follows Jesus, being thoroughly healed of his deep-rooted sin, as a paralysed man was. And so what we have in Matthew's calling is a wonderful picture of what it is for someone to become a Christian. What it is, in fact, for someone to be a Christian. We see it in three ways. We see that Matthew got up and followed Jesus. He wasn't inactive he heard the call. He heard the voice of Jesus. He'd seen perhaps what Jesus had done. And when Jesus came to him, he gets up. Saving faith shows itself in action. And these actions of those who have saving faith are centred are centered on the person of Jesus. We as Christian people have encountered Jesus personally. And so just like Matthew's direction in his life became centred just on one person and following him, so too the direction of our lives is focused on one person, the Lord Jesus. See, this is a question that any person, Christian for five minutes or 50 years, can ask themselves as... Many important things we have in our lives, throughout all the things that we might do, think, say, we need to have at the centre of our mind a person, the person of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, we see that Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. Nothing is ever allowed to stand in the way of the one who is a genuine disciple. When we become a Christian, we see that following Jesus is far more important than anything, and so we're willing to leave houses, land, family, or anything else to follow Jesus. And thirdly, Matthew arranges for his friends to meet Jesus. This is another link between the healing of the paralytic and Matthew's calling in verses 1 to 8. In the story last week, the friends of the paralysed man brought him to Jesus to be healed. And here, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, Matthew tries to do the same thing with his friends. He holds this dinner party with Jesus and his fellow tax collectors, with his colleagues. And this is... This is a natural act for those who have followed Jesus, for know that their sin is forgiven. It's natural for us to be concerned with others, finding this forgiveness too. As Jesus continues his ministry, as he calls Matthew, we see that the opposition grows. And we see that there are two objections to Jesus. Firstly, that Jesus was associating with tax collectors and sinners. This is is an attack on Jesus' moral standard. For the obvious implication is that if he associates with these low types, these sinners and tax collectors, well, he must be like that himself. Jesus responds to this criticism with an illustration and a quotation from the Old Testament The illustration was drawn from medicine. Jesus responds to the criticism of the religious by saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Today, when people are sick, usually what we do is we take them to a hospital. But in Jesus' time, there were no hospitals as such, or doctors' offices. The doctors went to the patients. They actually made kind of like house calls So Jesus, as he draws on this, he draws on this common pattern for how doctors and healers would go to the place where people were sick. And if he were to help those who were sick in their hearts and in their souls, then he had to go to where they were. See, these critics who... Saw Jesus associating with people like Matthew and other types that they thought below them, these critics were actually as paralyzed by their sin as the paralytic, and as clean and as as unclean, sorry, as the despised tax collector. Jesus responds to these critics. They also criticize him for not being properly pious. And Jesus responds to this by saying what he is bringing, this healing that he is bringing is something new that cannot be contained by the old laws. In fact, it bursts the old laws because this healing that Jesus offers is real and spiritual and unprecedented and one that can't be contained by the world that was conceived By the Pharisees. Because this healing that Jesus brings. This healing comes into the very dark moments of people's lives. And that's where we pick up the next story that Matthew um, puts forward there in 18 to 26. These stories are told also in Mark and Luke but in Matthew's version here of these stories they're condensed because we see Matthew says that while Jesus was teaching about fasting and responding to the criticism of the religious a ruler asked him to come and raise his daughter from the dead in Mark in the gospel of Mark we learn that this ruler's name is Jairus in Mark chapter 5 verse 22 And this synagogue ruler, this man who commanded people, who was morally upright, is in a desperate situation and his faith is striking. He asks Jesus there in verse 19 to come and put his hand on his daughter. And at some point in this story, if not at the beginning certainly at the end he comes to realize that Jesus is the man who can do something for him in his situation because his daughter isn't just sick but she's in fact dead he was this ruler from among the religious leaders, from among the very people who had been criticising Jesus just earlier, those who were jealous of Jesus and those who were hostile towards him, those who would seek to kill him and destroy him. But what made Jairus appeal to Jesus? In a way that his peers rejected Jesus, well, Jairus was desperate. His daughter was dying, if not already dead, and he had nowhere else to turn. And so in his desperation, he comes to Jesus. He comes and he discovers that it's not scorn or criticism that Jesus has for him, but compassion. And as Jesus... Heals this young girl we see this final story where this woman who is obviously sick she too comes to Jesus and she is desperate just as Jairus was she's desperate but for different reasons there in verse 20 that she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and it's important to think about her condition. It's important to think about the sadness of her condition, because there in her sadness, there in her illness, there with all her problems is a picture of our problem, of our sadness, of our illness, because this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years was unclean. And the words that the Gospel writers use here are chosen carefully. We can surmise from their accounts that this woman was suffering from excessive menstrual bleeding. The bleeding would have weakened her. She probably would have been anemic, as well as subject to further diseases. She would have been considered ceremonially unclean by the Jews as if she was a leper. And she wasn't just ceremonially unclean. Secondly, she was isolated. People could not come into contact with this woman without themselves being made unclean by that contact. No one could touch her. And she was not allowed to touch any other people. And thirdly, she was not just unclean or isolated. She was incurable. Luke, in his account, makes it clear that no one could heal her in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. She's been suffering for over a decade with this disease, isolated, unclean, dirty, excluded. And when we put this together with Jesus, with the story of the synagogue ruler's daughter, we see that there's a picture here of the healing that Jesus offers. These two stories, one of Jairus and this bleeding woman, reinforce one another and belong together here as a tight set because they inform each other. Since what's true of the woman was also true of the little girl and vice versa, the dead were as unclean as the woman and the leper. They could not be touched. And that is why Matthew points us so clearly to how Jesus interacts with death and interacts with the so-called ceremonial uncleanliness by reaching into death there in verse 25 and taking that girl's hand. Again, we see that Jesus is entering the dark places of human life because there is no isolation so utterly complete as death, either for the dead person or for those who have lost loved ones. And as far as the woman was concerned, this woman was in a very literal way bleeding to death, even if she was not dead yet. For being incurable, the condition of the dead girl and the condition of this woman were clearly beyond hope. But here, Matthew, beautifully, sensitively and clearly shows us that what is hopeless for man is not for Jesus, because we're told that the woman's contact with Jesus, her initiation towards Jesus verse 22, in that moment healed her. And so just as Jesus had taken that dead girl by the hand and she got up, being raised from death to life, so too this woman in that moment that she made contact with Jesus is healed. Because Matthew's point here is that none are too unclean. There are... None who are too isolated for Jesus. There is nobody too hopeless for Jesus. He can even raise the dead. And so, friends, we're reminded in these stories of Jesus' compassion that we ought not be too stubborn, too deluded into believing the lie that we aren't sick, that we don't need help. That we are too far gone because this is the point of the gospel. This is Matthew's point. This is indeed the whole point of the Bible. That as these people who are sick, even this young girl who is dead, this tax collector who's excluded, there is no one too far gone for Jesus. See, this is what sin does to us all. Sin makes us unclean. These pictures are pictures not of just one woman and one girl and one tax collector, but these are pictures of every Christian person because sin makes us unclean. Sin contaminates us, and none of us can come before the purity of God's presence until our sin is dealt with. Sin also isolates us. It keeps us from God which is the worst thing about sin, but because it keeps us from God, it also isolates us from other people. Sin creates hurt and resentment and misunderstanding. Isaiah wrote of our isolation from God in Isaiah 59 verse 2. He said, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear then too our condition is hopeless, apart from his grace, apart from him coming just as we are seated, going on with our lives. We are seated there like Matthew was, perhaps oblivious to the healing that we need. And Jesus comes into our lives. He sees our darkness. He sees our sin. And he offers us, The forgiveness. He brings us back from spiritual death. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us. God raised us up from the death of our sin to be seated with the Lord Jesus. And here we have no finer picture, no more moving account of what Jesus has done in our lives. He's come. He's come and He's invited us with a sickness that is in our hearts, the reality of our sin, and he's come to heal us. And he comes and he invites us to follow him and to keep following him, to keep him at the very centre of our lives. May we do that, may we know the reality of our sin, but even more, the reality of the healing and the forgiveness that the Lord Jesus brings. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that we, this morning, might see our sickness, and we might see Jesus as our great doctor, one who has come to bring healing. And we pray that we would continue to trust in him, turn from our sin, and follow the Lord Jesus to keep him at the very centre of our lives. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to hear again from God's word from Psalm chapter 5.